So to me, there was nothing like that first meal I was allowed to eat in the hospital after I had each one of our three babies. With my first in a big hospital in Chicago, I don't even think they fed me. They just kicked chucking me to the curb with a new baby and said, good luck. With William, my last baby born here in Waterloo, uh, they served me a huge slab of ham and a side of peas. But with my Tracy, my middle daughter born in a suburb of Los Angeles called La Cañada, which I think just means Canada. <laughs> I can speak French. At a fancy little hospital that two seminary students had no business using, but we did anyway. You know what I got served after giving birth with no pain relief, no epidural, no nothing? Lobster and champagne, baby. That's what I'm talking about. Now, what does this have to do with anything? here on a Sunday morning. Well, as Jeff said, and if you've been here these last couple of weeks, as you know, we're, we're going to talk a little bit this morning about the gifts that people bring people after babies are born, and specifically the gifts brought to the baby Jesus by the wise men, also known as the Magi, those guys we portray in Christmas pageants in velvet robes and beards, riding in on camels, looking like they just came fresh out of Hobby Lobby with all the jewels and the crown and the glitter. You know, these men, the, gift that, the gifts that they brought the baby Jesus after he was born, and though I'm confident that Joseph had scrambled together some kind of meal by then, I wonder about these gifts, these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I, you know, aside from this teaching series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks, I wonder if you've ever thought about them and asked yourself, why these gifts? What do these gifts have to tell us about Jesus and how might a deeper understanding of these gifts help us starting this coming Thursday and throughout this celebration of the Christmas season, how might these, an understanding of these gifts help us celebrate who Jesus is at an even deeper level? So I'm gonna look at the scripture that we pulled this from, the Gospel of Matthew chapter two. And I'm just going to read through the story, and then we're going to dig into this uh, strange substance called frankincense and think a little bit about what it meant and what it might mean for us to understand it a little bit more. This is what Matthew writes in his gospel, chapter 2. He says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi, that's the wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Well, this freaked King Herod out, because um, he's the real king. Hello, it's right in his name, King Herod. So what are these strange dudes talking about? They're looking for the king of the Jews. So Herod calls together kind of a town hall with the people around him, and he tries to discover where this rival king was going to be born. And look what happens next in the story. Then Herod, after he had called this town hall, he called the Magi back to him, and he called them secretly 
And he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, this is how I imagine his voice, go and search carefully for the child. Isn't that, don't you kind of think that's how he's talking? As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. Oh, tricky Herod, tricky. Using the wise men's desire to worship this newborn king as a ploy to help him maybe get to that little baby king first. So the wise men continue their search for the star and they find the baby. This is what Matthew writes. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream, I love this part of the story, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So the true king was a baby boy born to poor nobodies while the phony king shook in his paranoid boots in the palace. Herod was flipping out because he knew, just as these wise men knew, that this was no ordinary baby. Thus the gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, if you've been here these last couple weeks, and if you haven't, I encourage you to watch online, but you know a little bit more now about what gold symbolized and what myrrh symbolized. But let's talk about frankincense. Frankincense was the gum or the resin of the Boswellia tree. You all know this. It was, a very, it was a very expensive substance collected in remote parts of Arabia. And you would scrape the bark off the tree. This sounds a little bit like myrrh. And this gum or this resin would ooze out from the tree. And you would take that gum or resin and you would dry it. And then it got used during the priestly rituals in the Jewish temple. And though the Bible never says clearly... Many scholars believe that this gift of frankincense to the baby Jesus symbolized from the very moment of Jesus' birth, his identity as the great high priest. And this is a concept that you and I aren't very familiar with because it's not part of our religious culture, but it's, it's a concept that the early followers of Jesus would have understood at a very deep level. Because in the faith, in the Jewish faith during Jesus' time, the priests were the mediators between God and people. And it was through the ministry of the priests that people, ordinary people like you and like me, could have access to God. And the priest made sacrifices to God on behalf of the people of Israel so that their sins could be forgiven. And so that for a time, the, 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 uh, they would have access to God and their communication channels would be open. But the high priest was of a very different caliber. In the temple, in the Jewish place of worship, there was a veil or a curtain that separated what was called the Holy of Holies or the place of God's presence from the rest of the temple. And this curtain signified in a very real, tangible way that humanity was separated from God by sin. 
And this is where the mediator comes in. Because only the high priest was permitted to pass beyond that curtain once per year on the Day of Atonement. The day when a year's worth of sins were atoned for or covered for or paid for by a sacrifice. Hello? I didn't know if it was something I did. Shut her down, folks. Just shut, just shut the light off. She'll just walk off. Anyway... <clears throat> Uh, so anyway, the priest could go past, only the priest, high priest could go past this curtain, right? So uh, it was, this curtain was a little bit like that curtain, you know, that the flight attendant pulls when, when you go sit in steerage and then the people in first class are getting like a hot washcloth and a hot toddy, that curtain gets pulled, separator, right? But the high priest, after making a sacrifice for his own sins, because he was a sinful human, just like the rest of us, he made a sacrifice for his own sins on the Day of Atonement. He would then enter the Holy of Holies, past the curtain, and into the presence of God. And he would bear the names of the tribes of Israel on this breastplate, and he would carry the names of the people on stones on his shoulders, symbolizing that he was taking all the people with him into the presence of God. And he took the blood of the sacrificial lamb and he poured it onto what was called the mercy seat, which was the very top of the Ark of the Covenant, the gold box that contained the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> and that blood would cover the Ark and it would symbolically cover or atone for or pay for the sins of all the people of Israel. And the high priest would hopefully then come out of the Holy of Holies unscathed by the power and the pure goodness of the presence of God. Some people believe that the Jewish people used to tie a rope to the high priest's foot in case he died, just killed dead by the holiness of God, and then they would have to pull him out by the foot so that they wouldn't pass past the curtain and be struck dead too. And you know, when we hear about this, and I share this with you, it can seem a bit primitive, right? A little bit barbaric even to us today. And to be honest, it was. But the question that I want to ask that's a little bit of a deeper question is what was really happening here? Why all this sacrifice? And at some rich and mysterious level, I don't really fully understand, a foreshadowing was happening. A picture was being painted so that when Christ came, Jesus, the ultimate high priest, the baby given frankincense at his birth, when Christ came, people would understand at a deep level what the ultimate high priest was doing on the cross. See, the high priest was the only one who could approach God. And because he was imperfect, he had to make a sacrifice for his sins first. Then he took the sins of the people of God and the blood of the lamb was poured out for the forgiveness of those people. And there was this never-ending succession of high priests. When one died, a new one was installed in his place. And the priests had to make these sacrifices over and over and over again. In Jerusalem, the fire on the great altar of sacrifice never went out. 
signifying the need for constant sacrifices to make things right with God. It was never ending. And in the Jewish temple, there were no chairs, signifying that the work of the priests was never done. The priests never sat down. But look what happened after Jesus, the great high priest, did his work. We're going to look at a passage from the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. If you want to read more and learn more and think more about Jesus as the great high priest, the book of Hebrews is your reading assignment. This is what happened after the great high priest offered his sacrifice. It says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Do you get that? Day after day, again and again. But when this priest, talking about Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God. This sacrifice was once for all. This sacrifice was perfect. This sacrificer was perfect. One single final sacrifice for all time. And then Christ, the great and perfect high priest, worshiped as such at his birth, took a seat. The high priest has taken a seat. Do you know what that means for you and me? That the great and final high priest has finally taken a seat. It means that there is now no need for any sin sacrifice on our part. There is now no need for any sin sacrifice on our part because the high priest has taken a seat. It has been done once for all. The perfect sacrifice has been made. The work is over. And it was all Jesus. You and I add nothing to it with our incessant efforts at using religious behavior to try to earn God's favor. We can't add one wit to it. So we need to stop trying to. Let me put it this way. Have you ever given someone a gift or maybe prepared a meal for someone just because you wanted to? And all they did was frump and grump around at you about how sad and sorry they are that they didn't get you anything or that they didn't bring anything to the meal. They never open the gift. They never sit down and just enjoy the meal you prepared for them. Instead, they talk incessantly to you about how sad and sorry they are that they don't have a gift for you or something to add to the meal. It's all they do. And at first, you're polite. And you say to them, oh, that's okay, no worries. I just wanted to treat you. It's fine. Just enjoy the meal. It's on us. No problem. Just open the gift. I wanted to give it to you. But what you really wanted to do was scream at them, just shut up and eat the meal. Just be quiet and open the gift. Stop talking about yourself. 
You're ruining it all. I just wanted you to enjoy what I did for you because I love you. And just be grateful. I wonder sometimes if this isn't how Jesus feels about us. When we spend all this energy running around acting as if he hasn't taken a seat. Stop trying to lay your own self on the altar. Stop living as if God either likes you or dislikes you based on your behavior. Stop carrying your guilt and shame around like a trophy. Stop trusting in your own efforts rather than the work of the great high priest done on your behalf. Friends, we have one job. Our one job is to believe and live as if it were true that the great high priest has taken a seat. And then to say, thank you. The one sacrifice the seated high priest wants from you and from me is thank you. The voice of God from Psalm 50 in the New Living Translation. Translation. This is God speaking through the psalmist. But giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. The high priest has taken a seat. Won't you live as if that's true? Back to the Jewish temple for just a moment. Remember, I was describing that at the very center of the temple was this place called the Holy of Holies where it was believed God's presence resided. That central place kept totally separate from other parts of the temple and from every other human being except the high priest by a very thick curtain. This wasn't that thin little thing they pull in the airplane. This was, scholars believe, a four-inch thick curtain. Some believe 60 feet tall. But listen to what happened when the great high priest, Jesus, made the perfect and final sacrifice once and for all. From the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, these two sentences. Jesus is on the cross, the Lamb of God. And it says, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top, 60 feet up, to the bottom, four inches thick. Because of Jesus, the great high priest and his perfect once and for all taken a seat kind of sacrifice, an opening was immediately created into the full presence of God. When Jesus died on the cross, the presence of God became available to anyone who cares to enter it. The high priest has taken a seat, and the curtain has been forever torn. And because of that tearing of the curtain, there is now no separation between God and us. The curtain has been torn again. I go to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. He says, For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, 
who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Do you get that? Jesus knows and sympathizes with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Because of this, listen to what this writer says. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Take that verse with you this week, would you? Because of our high priest who understands us fully and is more like us than we will ever know. Jesus is more like us than we will ever know. Because of what he has done, we no longer have to be fearful to be in God's presence. And we don't need a human mediator. You don't need me. You don't need a priest. You don't need some other quote-unquote religious person. The way is open because of Jesus. And you can, not just you can, but you are called to, with confidence, waltz right up to the throne. Not a throne of judgment, not a throne of condemnation, but a throne of grace. Waltz right up to it with confidence anytime you're in need. The throne of God's grace. Here's my question. Do you live as if this were true? Do you? The curtain has been torn and God is on the loose. He is everywhere. There's no place that God is not present. He is no longer confined to the Holy of Holies. God doesn't live behind a curtain. God isn't quarantined into only religious spaces. His presence is here, but it's also there. It's in the church. It's in the place of prayer, but it's also in your kitchen or your office or the corner bar. If we only had eyes to see, if we could only sustain our attention long enough to live every moment of every day as if it were true that the curtain has been torn. A woman who is a professor at Northwestern University in the Twin, Northwestern College in the Twin Cities says this. She said, the hours are already God-drenched. Isn't that beautiful? The hours are already God-drenched. They couldn't be more so. But we move about our day with Christ little more than a rumor. If God becomes more and more the center of our awareness, not just in church or on the retreat, but in the fast food line, in the, morning ru- in the evening rush, or in the walk to the company conference room. If that can start to happen, she says, we will begin to live as if the curtain is torn. And whether we live that way or not is irrelevant to the truth. Because the curtain is torn. The high priest has taken a seat. This is the good news of baby Jesus' birth. This is a hint, a smell if I might be so bold, 
of what the frankincense gift was all about. This baby Jesus who would grow up and make any further sacrifices on your part unnecessary. This baby Jesus who would grow up and loose the presence of God into the world and make available the throne of grace to anyone, even schmucks like you guys and schmucks like me. So this Advent season, or really we're barreling toward Christmas now, this Christmas, as you celebrate the birth of Jesus, would you remember that he is also the great high priest? And will you, like the wise men, bow down and worship? Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, we forget the word good in front of the good news. And we continue to act as if all the work, all the effort is up to us. And we live as if you have not taken a seat, Jesus. We live as if the curtain is still in place and we have to perform all kind of maneuvers to get into your presence. Would you remind us as we celebrate your birth and sing Christmas carols and light our trees and light our candles and open gifts that the greatest gift has been given and that a huge component of that gift is that Jesus is the great high priest, the one who has paid it all, the one who has set the presence of God loose and the one who says, please, please, will you approach the throne of my grace with confidence when you are in need? Oh God, help us live as if this were true. And now let us continue in song to worship you for who you are and what you've done. Amen.